0: Welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. I'm Jean Deville, joined as always by my co-host, Blaine Curcio. This week, we bring you the latest launch updates of the CCAF, the China Commercial Aerospace Forum, and definitely there were quite a few impressive updates. Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened.
1: 其实我们,
0: 我的飞行已经离开上海 So the China Commercial Aerospace Forum, or CCAF, is an important conference hosted every year in Wuhan since 2015. There were keynote speeches, you have thematic roundtables, and you also have exhibitions. And it's really a great place to sort of get the latest updates on China's commercial space ecosystem. And this edition, once again, did not disappoint. And um so Blaine, before I get into the launch updates, do you want to uh, give us some, a little bit
1: more context on this uh, conference? Absolutely, John. So yeah, definitely a very interesting seventh edition of the China Commercial Aerospace Forum. And this conference, as you mentioned, is held every year in Wuhan. It is hosted by the China Aerospace Science and Industry Corporation, or CASIC, and it is arguably the centerpiece of CASIC's plethora of commercial space industry activities. One of the primary organizers is also the subsidiary of CASIC, the Sunjiang Group, which is itself based in Wuhan, while CASIC, the sort of parent company, is based in Beijing. And in Wuhan, through the Sanjiang Group, KASIC has built an impressive array of commercial space industry infrastructure, uh, thanks in part to the political backing of its former chairman and uh, regular appearin- appearer at the CCAF, uh, Gao Hongwei. And this infrastructure is primarily concentrated in the Wuhan National Aerospace Industrial Base, which we have covered on a couple of previous episodes. And so, as we've discussed before on the Dongfang Hour, uh, the fast rising Chinese commercial space ecosystem involves, at its best, a mix between state-owned enterprises and local or provincial governments and commercial companies. And in the case of the K6 activities in Wuhan, this certainly involves all three of these entities. So as I mentioned, there's the K6 subsidiary Sanjiang Group, which is a very large subsidiary. It's around 20,000 employees out of K6, roughly 180,000 employees. Obviously, that being the kind of state-owned element of this trifecta. You also have a large... uh, commercial segment of uh, x base and Xingyun, which are two Kasich commercial subsidiaries. And of course you have the economy or the the government of of Hubei province and and Wuhan. So you have a province of, I don't know off the top of my head, but we'll call it 60 or 70 million people. And again, you have this interesting ecosystem where Kasich and Sanjiang group are contributing to the local economy and bringing high-tech, well-paying jobs. And the local economy, the local government is providing support for KASIC. And then again, you have commercial companies that are able to come in and contribute to this ecosystem. So really a very interesting example of this trifecta of entities that we oftentimes see in the most effective Chinese commercial space companies. And so as we've seen every year at the CCAF, the first day of the conference involved the city and provincial government leaders coming to the conference to be shown around a little bit by the leadership of KASIC. And this is oftentimes done uh, where, you know, they're walking around the exhibition hall and you have a big group of local media behind them and it becomes kind of a big spectacle. So I recall in 2018 at the, at the conference, uh, I was very confused when the first morning you just had this big paparazzi around uh, this person and say, oh, that's the, the vice governor of uh, of Hubei province. So uh, definitely that's the most lively part of the conference in terms of just the amount of, of media excitement. Although, frankly speaking, it's oftentimes uh, the least interesting because it's just sort of the... You know the the government officials being shown around and being told by Kasich all of the different ways that Kasich is contributing to the local economy. Uh, but that being the case, it is still a very important element for Kasich because again there is a significant amount of government support for their commercial space activities. And to give some frame of reference as to how sort of high stakes this is for Kasich, uh, again in 2018 when I was attending, the rumor at the time was that Kasich had spent around 500,000 US dollars to rent out the entire intercontinental hotel in Wuhan for this conference. And I don't actually know the exact dollar number, but I can tell you that my attendance, uh, I, I, paid zero except for my train ticket from Shenzhen. So, um, I would have, <laughs> some of that 500,000 may have been paying for my hotel room. So similar to years past, we saw, um, Cao Wongjing, the vice governor of Hubei province and Cheng Yongwen, the mayor of Wuhan, delivering keynote speeches on the first day, first morning of this conference. A couple of other keynotes, Uh, one of them came from Liu Shichuan, the chairman of KASIC and the replacement of the aforementioned Gao Hongwei, who again was sort of this uh, leader in KASIC going into commercial space. And Liu Shishuan, his speech included many of the kind of standard party sayings that one would expect, you know, talking about reform and opening up and, and talking about uh, adhering to Xi Jinping thought, etc. cetera. Um, but there were also some very interesting nuggets of information. So Liu notably referred to Kasich's Xinyun project, it's a narrowband communications constellation, as progressing very smoothly, um, and perhaps more notably, did not at any point refer to the Hongyun project, which is itself a broadband constellation project. And so as we've discussed before, um, earlier this year, we saw the creation of China Satellite Networks Limited, or China SatNet, which is a very large broadband constellation. And so the expectation was that Hongyun and the Cask equivalent Hongyan would both be kind of merged into this China SatNet, but that Xingyun, being a fairly different type of business model, uh, would remain and would in fact be deployed. And just to give a very brief kind of uh, analogy to these two business models, you know, we look at China Satellite Network Limited as kind of like a Chinese version of Starlink. You have you know, over 10,000 satellites that are going to provide broadband, whereas Xingyun is a bit more like a Chinese version of Iridium, let's say. So it's a constellation of 80 satellites that are providing narrowband. And so very different objectives. And it looks like Xingyun will live to see another day. The other keynote speech from Kasich was from Ho Xiaofeng, he's the board secretary of Kasich, and he noted that Xingyun and X Space are about to complete a 3 billion RMB, or a little bit less than 500 million U.S. dollar, round of funding, which again seems to indicate that Kasich is putting a lot of their eggs into the narrowband constellation basket and also into the commercial launch basket, at least in terms of their satellite manufacturing and launch manufacturing plans. It's also an apparent indication that they're fairly pleased with the progress of x base and Xinyun because I find it hard to imagine they would give them almost 500 million US dollars if they were not at least a little bit pleased. So overall, definitely some very interesting keynote speeches at the CCAF, and I would say that compared to years past, they were a little bit more substantive. We have some fairly noteworthy explicit statements, so things like KSIC will launch at least 12 satellites in 2022, 3 billion RMB to be raised by these companies, and apparently we also saw what may be the death of Hongyun due to its lack of being mentioned. All of that being said, I will now turn it over to Jean for some launch updates from a variety of commercial companies that were present at the CCAF. And so first big
0: news, iSpace, one of the leading Chinese commercial launch companies and the first commercial company to have put a payload into orbit in 2019 in China, showed an impressive enthusiasm at the Forum for Space Tourism. And we had already vaguely seen a sort of a space plane with Windows concept in some of their previous marketing material. But this time, iSpace's entire keynote speech at CCAF was dedicated to space tourism, which does suggest that... Space tourism is really on the roadmap rather than just sort of a marketing stunt on a PowerPoint. And so, first and foremost, it seems that iSpace is developing a rocket and a capsule for suborbital space tourism. And this project apparently will not start from scratch. We know that the company is already developing something called the Hyperbola 2Z. And this is basically a vertical takeoff, vertical landing prototype for their upcoming Hyperbola 2 reusable medium lift launch vehicle. And the Hyperbola 2Z basically is the first stage of a Hyperbola 2, and that is to be used as a prototype to perform hops, to learn how to do vertical takeoff, vertical landing, similar to what Deep Blue Aerospace has been doing with the Nebula M and similar to what SpaceX did with the Grasshopper in the early 2010s. But apparently, according to this keynote speech at CCAF, iSpace plans to derive the Hyperbola 2Z into a single-stage rocket, which would launch a crude capsule. And this capsule would then follow a suborbital trajectory before landing on Earth using parachutes. And this probably rings a bell because it's very similar to a project that was announced by Caspace a couple of months ago that we mentioned on the Dongfang Hour, as well as, obviously, the Blue Origin New Shepard. So that's the first project of iSpace. There's another one that's probably the most ambitious one, and which is in the continuity of the so-called space plane with windows that we had seen previously on their marketing material. And so at the conference, iSpace mentioned that they would develop such a second stage space plane initially for suborbital space tourism, probably with greater capacity and capabilities than the previously mentioned crude capsule, and the single-stage rocket, probably also because um, this space plane will be launched on board the Hyperbola 3, which is iSpace's future heavy lift launch vehicle. And perhaps even more interestingly, this space plane apparently will be upgraded in the future into something that will enable orbital space tourism, as well as point-to-point space transportation. So apparently there's a new commercial player in town that is uh, looking into developing space tourism. And this is probably the probably the third serious-looking contender in China for space tourism after Caspace, which is developing something similar to the Blue Origin New Shepard called the ZK-6, and also Space Transportation, or Linkong Tianxin, which is going more the suborbital space plane route. Now, of course, when you have this kind of announcement, the question for us is always, you know, is there a market for... Uh, that many players, three players for suborbital space tourism, that's already um, quite a lot. And the second question, which is perhaps more China specific, is that is there really a big market in China for suborbital space tourism? And that's because um, we're today in a political environment that has developed over the past few years, where the rich tend to maybe lay a bit lower, or at least not display very ostentatiously their wealth. And um, that's, you know, Definitely I think that suborbital space tourism is a pretty bling thing to do. and so um, and so yeah, I mean that's a that's a question that remains open. And speaking of space planes, there was some additional space plane news that was revealed at the CCAF and nobly Kasich announced that their Tung Yun spacecraft, which is a two-stage to orbit horizontal takeoff horizontal landing space plane, had already successfully performed a first so-called cycle switching. Test flight. And if this is true, this would be an absolute breakthrough as this kind of space plane that uses turbine based combined cycle engines is really cutting edge technology. Now, as far as I know, outside of China, there's only one other company that's developing this kind of technology, which is reaction engines limited in, um, in the UK. Now, I would note that we have no real images of the flight or of the flight hardware, so I don't know how real this update is. And I think this is quite a pity because this uh, this project was marketed as, as a civil program, and yet it is... Still absolutely secretive. And at the CCF separately, there was also another discussion on another space plane, and this time on a single stage to orbit spacecraft project using RBCC, so rocket based combined cycle engines. And there was also a description of the associated roadmap and the associated technologies as well, including thermal protection technology. And so this is another space plane that seems different from Tangyun, which is a two stage to orbit space plane, while uh, this other unnamed space plane is a single stage to orbit. They also seem to have different roadmaps. Tangyun is aiming initially for an entry in service in 2030, while this unnamed single stage to orbit spacecraft is looking more at 2035. Both seem to be crewed. Apparently, this single stage to orbit spacecraft would carry four passengers. Tung Yun, we don't really know, but we've seen videos and marketing material that show passengers getting on board Tung Yun. So um, that's starting to be a lot of space planes for China. But um, yeah, Blaine, anything to add on these uh, these projects or shall we go back to more classical launch vehicles?
1: Just a couple of points. So to your earlier point about space tourism, indeed, I would argue that, you know, nothing says common prosperity, like, you know, rich people paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for a 15 minute space flight. So yeah, a little bit surprising to see This kind of emphasis. And also just one other point in regard to Tung Yun. Um, I would note that it was one of Kasich's, I suppose, formerly five clouds projects, although we may now call them four clouds potentially, because again, my feeling is that Hong Yun is is no longer, no longer on the table. So um, these five clouds, it was a very large initiative from a handful of years ago, and they were talking about investing 100 billion RMB into these five projects. So it's interesting to see that a couple of these projects have seemingly made more progress than others, although probably not so surprising. Getting over to a couple more commercial launch updates, so we saw some updates from the company Deep Blue Aerospace, who announced their, uh, well, they they showed their Nebula 1, which we have already heard about, but then they also interestingly announced a Nebula 1H, which we take to mean Nebula 1 Heavy. And this is a departure from their previous plan of having an expendable Nebula 1 rocket and then a reusable Nebula 2 rocket. Now, we don't necessarily know how the payload of the Nebula 1H compares to the Nebula 2, but I would mention that the Nebula-2 was itself a pretty big rocket with a payload of five tons to LEO if it were reusable and six tons to LEO if it were expendable. And notably, Deep Blue Aerospace had previously described the Nebula-2 as a medium-lift rocket, and again, we can assume perhaps that the Nebula-1H is a heavy-lift rocket. So we may assume that the Nebula 1H has a larger payload than, you know, five or six tons, which makes it a very big rocket indeed. And it's a little bit speculative here, but I suspect that the heavier rocket may be an indication of increased policy support for commercial launch vehicles. And that is to say, previously, most of the commercial launch companies were developing rather small rockets, probably also because they were earlier stage, but I think probably partly because a larger rocket is more directly competitive with players like the Long March, notably. And so, again, seeing these commercial launch companies building bigger rockets and announcing bigger rockets that look you know, rather more of the scale of some of the Long March, it, it may be an indication that um, we're seeing more policy support for commercial launch. And indeed, given the number of launch companies that we continue to see spring up, that's probably true. And last point on Deep Blue Aerospace, we did see them increase the expected payload from 500 kilograms sun-synchronous orbit to a rather robust one ton. And so we now have, uh, again, a couple of pretty big rockets being developed by Deep Blue Aerospace. Uh, So, Sean, unless you have anything else on DBA, we have a couple more launch companies that gave Hmm. some pretty significant updates because this is China, and we cannot use all of our fingers and toes to count the number of launch companies. There are more than that.
0: Yeah, and just just to your last point on Deep Blue Aerospace, definitely it's a, it's really a reshuffle of their initial strategy because as you mentioned, they're increasing the payload of the initial Nebula One. It used to be an expendable mm. rocket. It now looks like it'll be a reusable rocket, and they also went mm. for a modular architecture where it seems that the Nebula One Heavy is sort of. Well, a Nebula one where you add two additional first stages. Strat, yeah. So uh, definitely yeah. a big change for Deep Blue Aerospace, and as you've said, definitely sure. also not the only other company that has been uh, making big launch announcements at the CCAF. Another interesting update comes from a rather stealthy company that goes by the name of Space Trek or Xingtutansuo, and this company was founded in 2015. It has um, founders that I think have some military background, and this startup has had on the roadmap. Two rockets. You have the suborbital single stage solid field Tanswall 1, which made a maiden flight in December 2019, although I think that they haven't flown um, since, as far as I know. And you also have a small lift solid field rocket called the Shinku 1, which would be able to put 240 kilograms into sun synchronous orbit. Um, so nothing new there so far. And the Shinku 1 has not flown yet, but apparently the company has even bigger ambitions with a presentation at the CCAF showing a 3.35 meter diameter reusable launch vehicle that would be able to put three tons into low earth orbit. We don't really have a name for this new rocket, but it's a very similar rocket to competitors now like the Landspace ZQ-2, the Ispace Hyperbola 2, the Galactic Energy Palace 1, the DBA Nebula 1, and just to name a few of the contenders, but you have many more. I haven't mentioned Orion Space, Space Pioneer, or space and, and some of the others. So um, yeah, Space Trick looking at medium lift launch vehicles, it seems like this segment of the market is getting very crowded as well. Um and it seems like every other month we have a new player trying to get into uh into this market. And speaking of that actually, there's another company that's based in Xi'an called AA Engine uh or Kongtian Engine which was known as an engine manufacturer. They make Kerolox engines and hypergolic fuel engines for rockets and for other spacecraft as well as engine parts, such as valves, pumps, and combustion engines. And interestingly, at the CCAF, they also showcased two liquid-fueled rockets, which are called the AX-1 and the AX-11. And these look like small-lift and medium-lift launch vehicles. And so, um unfortunately, not much more is known, because it wasn't really a keynote presentation, but more just of a poster that was on the online exhibition of the CCAF. But, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, an engine manufacturer deciding to provide an end-to-end offer, and to build rockets themselves. So um, that's definitely a new phenomenon in the commercial market in China. And uh, yeah, Blaine, any any other thoughts on these two new
1: players? Or Yeah, I guess my only question is, uh, when should we expect to see Jiu Zhou announce their own systems-level rocket? Because, of course, they are a company that is primarily or entirely focused on developing rocket engines. But um, as we found with AA Engine, uh, that is not necessarily... Uh, it's not enough. They can always pivot. Um, So yeah, getting into our last launch company, uh, X-Space, which is arguably the most significant to this conference, given their connection with Casic. So X-Space, of course, is a commercial subsidiary of the Sanjiang Group, which again is a subsidiary of Kasich. So they are well-funded. They have some technology transfer probably from Casic, and they have up to this point developed a fairly successful series of solid launch vehicles, notably the Kwaizhou 1 and more uh, more commonly Kwaizhou 1A. And so we heard from x during the conference that they plan to launch seven Quadro 1A rockets in the next three months, which is an indication, I think, that the company is getting into a bit of a production groove, this coming after a launch failure about a year and four months ago, and they have now had three successful launches over these last couple of months. So again, we had about a one-year absence from x where they weren't really talking about anything, um, but about three, four months ago, They had a successful return to flight of the Quadro 1A. They've since had two more successful missions. And again, they plan for seven missions over the next three months. And I would also point out that We did hear uh, last year at the CCAF from uh, fellow Kasich subsidiary Liobit Technologies, which is the operating company for Xingyun, that they plan to launch 12 Xingyun satellites. At the time, they were saying 2021, now more likely 2022, but notably, those will be on Quadro 11 rockets, which is Kasich's yet-to-be-successfully-launched medium-lift rocket. And so, what that can really tell us is that the other seven Kaizhou 1A launches over these next few months are not going to be launching Xingyun satellites. And so, they may very well be launching commercial satellites. They may also be launching. Um, you know, government satellites, and indeed, earlier this week, we did see for the first time, as far as I know, a large government payload launched on the Quadro One A with the shian Eleven satellite, which was again an example of a non-commercial launch from the Quadro One A. So, seven launches of the Quadro One A coming up, and it will be very interesting to see what those payloads are. And we also did hear during the conference that the Wuhan Aerospace Industrial Base now has a production capacity of 20 Kwaijo rockets per year, which is something that Kasich has been discussing for some time, and it's interesting to now see that come to fruition. A couple of final updates that we saw from from X-Base, a slide that showed a mysterious medium-heavy solid-fueled rocket, which we may take to be the Kwaijo-21 or potentially the Kwaijo-31, but again, did not have a name on this slide, but definitely an interesting thing to see. And other than that, I don't have any other updates on, uh, on X-Space. So, um, John, anything from your side on X-Space, or do you want to take us to, uh, the final launch company of, uh, of the week? Yeah. Landspace. Landspace is
0: considered to be one of the most advanced Chinese commercial launch companies. They're currently developing the Juche 2 medium lift liquid fueled methlox rocket, which can put four tons into low Earth orbit. And they're a company from who we've had regular updates over the past few years, although They've been relatively quiet in twenty twenty one and before getting into the piece of news, just a quick recap of what they've been doing. They did a number of cryogenic plumbing system tests earlier this year. They also assembled four t q twelve engines on a first stage, the t q twelve being the eighty ton thrust methlox engines that will power their first stage of the z q two rocket. They also completed the first phase of the construction of their jashing rocket manufacturing facility that manufactures the ZQ2 and prior to that in 2020, they also did a number of important engine tests with some very nice footage that's available on the internet. And perhaps most of interest over the past few weeks, we also saw a fully assembled ZQ-2 at the coastal spaceport of Haiyang a couple of weeks ago on satellite images, and which seems to suggest, well, you know, seeing a fully assembled ZQ-2, that this ZQ-2 is moving forward quite well. And I believe that Roger Zhang, the CEO of Landspace, also mentioned a few days ago that the ZQ-2 is moving forward pretty well. It will be fully assembled by the end of 2021 and that it will launch in the first part of 2022. So back to the CCAF and Landspace, there was no big scoop. They did show during a keynote speech the ZQ-2 rocket in a heavy version. And perhaps more significantly, they showed the first stage of the ZQ-2 performing vertical landing. And this is notable because the ZQ-2 has always been said by Landspace to be a first expendable rocket, but that it would be made reusable in a second phase. And there was always some skepticism about this statement, considering that this rocket has adopted a four-engine layout. And this is very different from the other Chinese commercial launch vehicles that have gone for a more of a star-shaped cluster of engines, which makes vertical landing significantly easier. And so... I mean, for the ZQ-2 to perform vertical landing, it would have to ignite one of its engines during the landing process. This engine would have to throttle very significantly. And the fact that they went for a four-engine layout means that the engine that would be reignited would be a little bit offset. And so that's a, an additional challenge in terms of keeping the um, the um rocket stable. But mm. again, I think the news here is that they showed the ZQ-2 during the keynote performing a vertical landing, which does suggest that, um, you know, they... They plan to move forward with that. And that reusability is definitely still on their roadmap. So um, I think that's, uh, that's about it for Landspace. Just a, a short but interesting update. And uh, Blaine, I'll let you wrap up this episode.
1: Sure thing. So just one last update to discuss from the CCAF this week. We did see uh, Leo Souchrant during his keynote speech say that Kasec plans to launch at least twelve satellites in 2022, and it's not—it was not explicitly stated, as far as I could tell—but it seems fairly likely that those twelve satellites will be part of the Xingyun narrowband constellation. That being the case, there was a separate sub-forum on satellite manufacturing, which we have yet to really dig into. And so next week, we will be having a second CCAF episode covering all of the satellite manufacturing updates. There are sure to be quite a number of them. That being said, um, but just a couple of housekeeping items to wrap up the episode. We would first like to send a special shout out and thanks to our good friends at GoTikonauts and SpaceWatch.Global, two great sources of space industry news. We also are happy to announce that we have recently set up a Buy Me a Coffee page. So if you go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash DongfangHour, you can indeed buy us a coffee or help pay for future uh, equipment or further research into episodes or any other nice things that uh, that involve the Chinese space sector and reporting on it. I'm Blaine Curzio, joined as always with my co-host Jean Deville, and uh, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. Thanks for listening. Thank you for watching and see you next week.